Welcome to the Blackberries Podcast with Kezia Mustak and Kamali Lee. Hey! Two nature-loving sisters on a mission to share their passion for food sovereignty with humanity and the world. Channeling the West Indian Caribbean vibes and positive energy, join these two dreadlock sisters as they share their insights and advice on gardening, farming, access to food, living in harmony with nature, and why feeding ourselves and feeding our families should matter to us all. Aren't you forgetting something, O.C.? All right, they'll also be sharing interviews from other environmental and sustainable farming enthusiasts, as well as other advocates of life, harmony, and positive vibrations from around the world. So come find them over on their social media platforms, and of course, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I think we should start out with sharing some stats. Yeah, hit our new friends with some stats. According to the United States Food Sovereignty Alliance, one in nine people worldwide are undernourished today. That even includes people that are globally responsible for cultivating our food. This idea highlights that for many communities, it isn't hunger due to lack of food around, but who has the power and resources to access and control food? Wow. Yeah. Well, I have some stats. Okay. According to feedingamerica.org, before the coronavirus pandemic, more than 35 million people faced hunger in the United States, including more than 10 million children. The coronavirus pandemic has left millions of families without stable employment. So now more than 42 million people, including 13 million children, are likely experiencing food insecurity. That's a lot of hungry people, Cam. Yeah, So food insecurity is defined as a lack of consistent access to enough food for every person in a household to live an active, healthy life versus food security, which means having at all times both physical and economic access to sufficient food to meet dietary needs for a productive and healthy life. And even if people have food around them, they might still not be able to eat food that is nutritious and culturally appropriate. Do you want to talk more about that, Kezia? Sure. More than half of the estimated 900,000 migrant workers who are responsible for national food security are concerned about whether their family can access healthy, balanced meals. That's a shame that someone who is surrounded by fresh produce all day finishes work and their best option to feel full is to get a bag of chips from the gas station. Where food security points to access, food sovereignty points to individual authority and decision making. Food sovereignty is defined as the right of peoples to healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods and their right to define their own food and agriculture systems. The take home for all this is don't take your fruits and veggies for granted. If you like to talk to tomatoes, if a squash can make you smile, if you like to waltz with potatoes up and down the produce I'm Kamali, and I live in Atlanta, Georgia with my husband and Boston Terrier named Tucson. I feel like I should mention his name as he will come up often. <laughs> I've been working in the veterinary field for seven years and I am a budding farmer. 
I'm Kezia. I live in the San Francisco Bay Area with my husband, three kids, and a great Pyrenees to mellow. <laughs> I'm a midwife. I have a master's in global health, and I'm also a budding farmer. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so when the pandemic started last year, we wanted to find the safest place to all get together because we knew we would be stronger together, and it seemed everything was locking down. We didn't feel like our homes were the safest place. I had just gotten back from the Philippines where they were already adhering to safety guidelines like checking temps at the mall and the hotel, basically everywhere. And I was headed to San Francisco, which was a hot spot. And so is Atlanta. Yeah, we were pulling all the stats, all the data. We were able to locate the safest regions. Yeah, and we decided to escape to Utah with our parents and our family. We found a rural setting that could house all of us. Yeah, and I knew you would find a big house because, you know, the polygamy. <laughs> the polygamy. <laughs> we had to go through great lengths to find food that we never had to go through before. Out in the middle of nowhere, in a new place, in the winter, there was nine of us, plus two dogs who eat a lot of raw meat. And it was a big adjustment seeing how to feed everyone. The closest store was like an hour away. We still wanted to keep our meals diverse and healthy. Also, at the stores we could get to, the items were becoming scarce. We collectively started thinking about consumption and sustainability in a new way. So we had a lot of time to watch movies, and I had seen the movie The Biggest Little <laughs> Farm. I knew Kenzie would enjoy it because there are a ton of great Pyrenees in it, um, but I wasn't expecting it to become such a pivotal movie in our lives. <laughs> Cam was like, do I show her Tiger King or Biggest Little Farm today? <laughs> <laughs> But because of all the food accessibility, among other changes we were experiencing, we were like, we need to do this for our family. We thought, let's create a sustainably diverse farm in case something like this were to happen in the future again. And it would probably be beneficial to have either way, to have for us and to share with our community. After catching that wave of inspiration from the movie, we were like, well, we don't, we don't know how to do this. No. So <laughs> we should ask people. We decided to unearth knowledge by starting with people in our close network that inspire us to kick off our family farming enterprise. We both feel that sharing information and our discoveries can also encourage and inspire others. This podcast is a way to share our journey with all of you. Oh gosh, I'm childhood visits to Trinidad, we saw how our family lived in cooperation with the land, whether it be backyard gardening or, you know, I saw my first slaughterhouse in Trinidad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we grew up knowing that the land provides everything you need if cultivated with intention. Mm -hmm. As Kamali and I got older, we grew a bit distracted from that foundation. But in Utah, we regained sight of those values and realized that we want to carry this way of life forward to future generations and communities. 
As daughters to immigrant parents and world travelers, I feel like we grew up with the training to be globally responsible, and we aim to apply this to our farm. We're creating our farm, Blackberries, and what we're doing now is laying the groundwork. There's paperwork, we're interviewing folks, setting up meetings, and approaching stakeholders for funding. Definitely looking for that. Mm -hmm. As we've been looking for stories of inspiration, we noticed that there aren't very many Black people we can talk to about American agriculture. Yeah, or minorities even. So we dove in and found a lot of interesting things about how Black farmers in America have been discriminated against. We found that this disparity has not gone unnoticed and is a continuous American struggle. Black farmers came together for a class action discrimination suit against the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The first prominent cases were filed in federal court in 1997, prompting the cases leading to the Pigford settlements. More than 13,000 farmers were able to provide proof for their claims of discrimination and were awarded some compensation. However, it's unclear as to how helpful that was after generations of injustice. Tens of thousands of claims were denied. President Obama played a prominent role in funding Pigford II, which allowed farmers previously denied to again make their claims. Just to put into perspective how detrimental this discrimination has been to the Black farming community, in 1920, there were nearly 926,000 Black farmers, compared with fewer than 50,000 today. There are a lot more people now than there were then. With this discrimination and the history of African-Americans being forced to work the land, I'm not surprised we have drifted from farming. taking this opportunity to reconnect people with the land in a positive way, like we experienced growing up. In the words of Leah Penniman, to free ourselves, we must feed ourselves. We are encouraging people in our circle to see the resources around them, just like our cousin Osi expressed in his changed perception of Zabuka for breakfast. We're talking about something and she's like she has like an avocado vineyard i guess in her backyard because she was like i love avocados so much and sometimes they're not in season and it was difficult to get so i decided to plant an avocado plantation and then the was, it, she was like well yeah oprah needed an avocado company you could oprah could say that yeah, okay. so that's what she's like so i just grew an avocado plantation in my backyard I'm like, okay. I know she didn't do it, but that's beyond the point. Yeah. The point yeah, is, yeah. she's like, now, now I can get up every morning and have my avocado and toast. And at that point, I'm like, dude, I remember eating avocado and bread as a child and feeling so good. Like, can I get the bacon and eggs and all the nice American looking no. Yeah. Eat a piece of bread and a piece of yeah. avocado. It's a like a, it's like that's true. That's say zabuka. Okay, it's, yeah. You know, bread and zabuka. I'm so poor. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> 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 
So now, now I'm just like, dude, you are in the best place. What you eat is the best food ever. Because this is what rich people are eating. Because you know it's healthy. Oh gosh. I'm a say, hey. You can all be rich now. All you got to do is plant that seed. We want to nurture support systems for people who want to grow their own food and access the tools to realize that dream. Share in our journey. Learn something. And, and pass, pass it, it on. on. Bye. All aboard. Ship Thank you so much for listening to episode one of the Blackberries podcast. If you would like to learn more, you can visit their Instagram page at WeBlackberries, or you can visit their website at blackberries.org. Tune in next time for more positive vibes on the Blackberries podcast, episode two. I